hey there, folks. This is your host, Kate Gaffney, jumping on to let you know that, shockingly, this is another two-parter. Chase O'Donnell is the, the actor and comic that we have on this week who is so lovely. She had so much to say. So many stories has really been through it. And her album People Pleaser is coming out and is out by the time this airs. So please go find that on all of the things and support Chase, who was so lovely and patient because I am currently cat sitting when we recorded this or was when we recorded it, I should say. And the cats decided as soon as I hit record to be the loudest animals on the planet, playing with bags, literally barfing multiple times, haven't had them barf all week. Today was the day. So it was just uh, a comedy of errors. And then people were out in the hallway and then the trash person came. It was just literally the quietest apartment on the planet all of a sudden became Grand Central Station with cats. Uh, So really sorry for the sound quality. Did my best to fix it. But Chase, you are just the sweetest. Thank you for your patience and being on the most unprofessional podcast you have ever been on. You are a trooper. Everyone, please go support Chase because uh, she's just so nice. And her album, People Pleaser, is such an appropriate name, but she's working on it. Thank you folks so much for listening. Let's get on with the show. Oh, hi, you're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. I'd like to welcome our guest, LA-based comic actor and writer Chase O'Donnell. Chase joins us today to discuss all things customer service, but also to discuss the release of her album, People Pleaser, which is the most relatable title of all time. She currently features for Christina P. across the U.S., but is also on tour on her own in NYC currently. Her two-person comedy show, Two Blondes, won the Broadway World Award and received praise in the New York Times. Chase also recently performed in the Netflix is a Joke comedy festival and will be appearing in the newest season of Curb Your enthusiasm. I have so many questions. I better know Chase from hearing her on some of my favorite podcasts and also from meeting her right now in real time where she joins us from originally it was the snowy tundra of Austin, but now she is in New York city, uh, on tour. So Chase, tell us what got you into comedy. How was working with Larry David? What's New York like right now? Is it as snowy as Austin? Tell us all the things. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) What an intro. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about service industry. Um, But right now, New York City is actually pretty warm. Like I'm not, I brought a big jacket and it's, I didn't have to wear it. It's it's lovely, sunny. Um, (laughs) And what were the other questions? (laughs) That's it, you've answered it. No, I'm teasing. Uh, So (laughs) what got you into comedy? Because you've been doing comedy for a little while. So what, what made you pick that? I've always loved to make people laugh. That's just something as a kid, I would just try to make my family laugh. And I grew up dancing. So there's a lot of performing in that. And that eventually transitioned into acting and theater. And uh, I majored in theater, but every part they gave me, whether it's like Chekhov or Shakespeare, I'd make it funny. I'd try to make a serious <laughs> thing funny. And my professors would have to be like, you can't do that. You can't make it funny. So I've just always loved making anything funny. And uh, 
and doing stand-up comedy has always been a way to perform without having to get cast on my own. I can just do it. And uh, auditioning and twiddling my thumbs, I got very, very tired of very quickly. So this is just a way to do it myself. Deeply, deeply relatable. And have you found that uh, because of stand up, are you getting are people coming up to you and saying, hey, because I think this is what the misconception is, is that if you do enough stand up, someone will just walk up to you and be like, oh, my gosh, you were really funny. I'm going to have you star in my film, which has I know it has happened. But have you found that that has become a vehicle to getting parts? Absolutely. Anything I've gotten is because people have seen me do it myself and perform it's it's rarely ever I get something from an audition it's because they've they've seen me (laughs) so they see you on like a podcast or they see you on stage and they come up to you afterwards or is it they're sliding in your dms what's the process for recruiting you Um, yeah like I just filmed a web series that uh they they slid into my dms um it's it's a lot of just seeing my tiktoks or silly videos or um, clips online is a, I think, I, I don't think anyone's walked up to me after a show and <laughs> given me a part. <laughs> hey, you know, fingers crossed. I've heard it's happened one day, one, one day. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, and that's a neat, um, I want it on record that like, those are very welcome DMS. If you're offering parts to people, like absolutely get on in there. Anybody who hears this, um, Oh yeah. Slide on in, slide on in. How was it working with Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm? So, I mean, I don't know if <laughs> production assisting is part of the service industry. Yes, it but is. But I actually got, I, I got started as a PA on Curb Your Enthusiasm. So I know Larry David from like being his literal personal helper on set for two years. Wow. And then they know I do stand up. This is another thing. They've just like been following my stand up career and um, put me on the show. That's and so again, funny. that wasn't an audition. That was them giving it to me through seeing my stand-up. So I know it, it helps a lot that I already knew them. But Larry is just like his character, except he keeps it all inside. He would never actually uh, say the things he's thinking. So he's very kind. Um, but you know he's thinking it. You know he's <laughs> you thinking 100% it. 100% do. <laughs> and... Um, I'm just, I'm someone that feels the need to fill a silence. Like I I don't do well, just I would walk Larry to set and sometimes it's a 10 minute walk and I would feel the need to start conversation and he would not feel the need to reply. So (laughs) I, I, many times I would be like, how, how is the traffic Larry? And he wouldn't respond. And then we would just walk in silence and I'd be like, oh, my, oh my, God. God. Oh my God, this is so embarrassing. And my oh. mind is just, what do I do? Do I sometimes I would start humming, like, you know, when you just start singing to be like, oh. I mean, the poor guy, they should have never put me in charge of him. I love that that earned you a part that you're just like annoying him is going to be the thing I'm doing. And they're like, cool. Now you're on the show. I love it. He, he, at one point, because I had never PA'd, PAing on Curb Your Enthusiasm was my first Whew. PA job. And so I was just doing everything I was told. Like, I didn't know. They were like, you have to know where Larry is at all times. So I would literally follow him everywhere. 
And I didn't know I was supposed to just kind of clock where he was going. You're in the bathroom so, stall next to him. Like, I got you, Larry. I'm right here. <laughs> no, I literally, I literally followed him to his hotel room. No, you didn't. <laughs> and he turned around and he said, Chase, you have to stop stalking me. I tell you. And then, and then once he told me that I started being more secretive about of course. following him, but I still had to know where he was. And one time I knocked on his trailer to be like, okay, they're ready for you on set. And then I hid, I hid behind a bush. Come on. So that he, I really did. I hid behind a bush so he wouldn't see me. And he saw me behind the bush and we just made eye contact and he walked past me and we just stared at each other. This knowing that I shouldn't be doing this. I mean, really, I've got stories and stories on stories how awkward I was around the man. I'm crying. I can't deal. Oh, so did wait, but I would I would assume, though, that like, I mean, he's he's been in the industry forever and a day. He knows that there is a PA that does always have to have some awareness. So would he like, would he at least see you on the walkie being like, you know, going in the hotel room or whatever to let people know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I've seen now other PAs do that job and they're much chiller about it. <laughs> they stay at Video Village or they stay far behind and they just like keep eyes on him. They're not literally right <laughs> on his body. Him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, I would get messed with, though, because they knew the cat, the cast knew me pretty well. And one time, uh, Jeff Garland, he plays the manager of Larry. Yeah. Just to mess with me. He was like, Jeff Schaefer needs a spoon right now. And that's the director. And I was like, "Okay, I'm on it. And I ran. I ran as fast as I could to get a spoon. And and I came back and I was like, oh, the director clearly doesn't need a spoon. He was he was giving notes to John Hamm, Isla Fisher, Clive Davis, and Larry David. No. And I and I went up to the AD and I was like, Jeff Garland told me that I have to give Jeff Schaefer a spoon. I'll die. And the AD was like, Well, he's the executive producer of the show, so you gotta do it. And I interrupted. No, 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 you didn't. With no, you didn't. A list actors to say, "Here's your spoon." I'm leaving, Jeff. Oh my God, Jays. Oh my God. And they, I mean, you know, they're just like, what? What? And the director was like, "Wow, a spoon! Thank you. I've always wanted one of these." And they were they were polite about it. Oh my god, I'm sweating! Like I'm sweating. Video Village was just laughing, and yeah, I got I I tell you, I was put through the (laughs) roof. Wait, so did they? I mean, please tell me somebody eventually communicated to the director that you were being fucked with. Please. Well, well, Jeff Garland was laughing, so they. I think they like put it together. Oh, I'm having a heart attack. To it. Oh my gosh. And I would have shaking. I would have too. I've never, sh- I've never shaked so hard in my life. I literally handed the spoon shaking. But this is the thing. I think people <laughs> who have not been on set don't know how this is. It's like, 
it's kind of a bunch of people just chasing their tails and it's like everything's on fire all the time. And so especially as a PA, if you're told to do something, you do it with gusto because you don't want to get fired or yelled at because the shit rolls downhill. And you don't know that moment because sometimes you're meant to interrupt. Like sometimes you need to do that. Oh God, you poor thing. Sometimes you have to give someone a spoon. Yes. And, and, and so the AD was like, he, he knew they all knew I was being messed with, but, and they kind of were like, okay, go do it. Let's see what happens. I just would have lit everyone's cars on fire. That was responsible for that shit. I would have been so mad. God bless you. shaking telling the story it's coming back to me I was so nervous but you know what's funny is that you ended up on the show so like that was I assume the being a PA and handing the spoon to the director was prior to you being in front of the camera is that right oh yeah no the thing is as as much as I embarrassed myself as a PA I got along with everyone and luckily they all liked me and I became close with the cast and crew and everything so i'm so sorry i'm watching cats yeah hold on one second i have to move this bag because a stupid cat hold on sorry no worries um well that's good that you ended up being friendly with them and that you got to the place so cut to so now was that so you did netflix as a joke and did you do that in the the, in 2022 like the most recent one Mm -hmm. okay and how did that go it went great, but I don't know if you heard about, like, during some of the shows, there was, like, an attempted stabbing. I did. We, my show was that night. Come at on. A different venue. But there was a shooting that happened, like, an hour before our show. And so the whole street was blocked off. People couldn't get there. We postponed the show for an hour. And most people just didn't go because, like, <laughs> because there had just been a shooting. <laughs> And we told people like, hey, listen, it's okay if you don't come to this. So it was an interesting experience. I, I can't. It was, it was fun. I can't. But there was a shooting. The whole street had caution tape right outside of the venue. Oh, my God. And so it we, was the most dangerous comedy festival ever. I think there's ever been. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I, it's so funny because I had heard about the stabbings, but I didn't hear about the shooting. Did someone pass away? The shootings, it was a crazy homeless person and he ended up killing himself. Oh, that's horrible. It was a, so he was shooting and then he killed, he was, I think the only one that died, but it was still a crime scene because someone died. So caution tape everywhere, police everywhere. Also, how would you do your actual set? Like you'd have to acknowledge that as people were coming in. I mean, there's no, like, are you doing rehearsed material? I acknowledged it at the beginning, but something like, oh, crazy. What a crazy thing. Anyway. I don't know how much material I, I can really pull off about it. So Yeah, you don't make the whole thing about the dead guy out front. You just acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, acknowledge it and burn but it. One okay. time I did a show and someone had passed out and people were like screaming for help and doctor and this and that. And then instead of the host like holding the show... He was like, and coming to the stage, Chase O'Donnell. Come on, girl. That's not true. And I walked out on stage and people were like, ah, we need help. And I didn't know what was going on. So I couldn't really talk about it. And at that point, my opening line was about a high school reunion. And I was like, well... This is scary. You want to know what else is scary? High school reunions. And that's all I talked about. And nobody was listening. 
because oh it was so God. bizarre that I didn't acknowledge anything. And like people oh just were like not caring that I was on stage. It was so, yeah, when there's disasters going on, you got to acknowledge it. Yeah, a little bit. That's yeah. so awkward. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, right now you're on tour in New York and then you're also touring. So that's on your own. And you're also touring the country with Christina P. So are you, will people be able to catch you in a city near them soon? Or what is the, like, how, how do people find you on tour right now? Yeah, I'm, uh, the tour with Christina is going till the summer and those venues are much bigger than the venues I do on my own. So those are really fun shows. Um, and then the shows I'm, I'm doing are, you know, I'm a newer headliner, so they're smaller venues, but I've been posting on my Instagram is where you can, um, catch all my dates or my website. Perfect. Okay. All right. And we will, um, we'll put all that stuff in the show notes and then I'll have you repeat that at the end of the show. Okay. So you have a lot of juicy stories, so I want to move on past our appetizers portion. So folks, we hope you enjoyed your apps. We're going to go on to the entrees after a quick break. I didn't even ask you where you're originally from. Let's not do the break yet. Where are you originally from? LA. Oh, you are. Okay. Yeah. All right. Then I don't but care. I, I mean, if, if get ready, cause those were just appetizer stories. Yeah. Here we go, folks. <laughs> imagine what's the entree. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, folks, we are back and, and now it is predictably time for the entrees. Okay. Now chase, this is the part that everybody loves because this is the gripe session. So I am very excited for all of your stories. We always started the same way. What was your first job ever where the government was taking taxes out of your income? Oh, as an usher at Ooh. a playhouse. Okay. That was my favorite job. I don't have any bad stories about that. One. Really? Why was that your favorite? I had just graduated college everyone working there was we were all the same age it was all like either seniors in college or just graduated and we became so close and the job was so easy you you sat people for the show and then we'd all go drink oh, so during fun. the show there was a founder's <laughs> room where we'd get free wine and we'd just get tipsy and that was the that was the job oh my god it's it the best was job so ever. fun and easy we all became like best friends. So what made you get out of that job? Cause that was your first job ever. Like I assume before you were like babysitting or doing whatever, but that was the first job. Yeah, actually my first job was babysitting, but this was the first job taxes came out. Of. Okay. But, um, I left because I booked an off Broadway show and I had to move to New York. That's amazing. That's the best and reason to leave. I was so leave. sad. I was so sad <laughs> to leave my usher job. <laughs> You're like, I'm debating about turning down this off-Broadway opportunity. I really was debating. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how long did you end up doing the Usher job before you had to leave? A year and a half. Oh, long time. Okay. A year. Okay. Yeah. How many customer service jobs have you had total? And I, I count comedy as a customer service job, but I more count something oh. like PAing, and I count like the things that you, so okay. tangential entertainment stuff I count. Can I just, yeah. I don't have it off the top of my head. No so problem. let's go. Through. Let's go. Okay. So usher mm -hmm. hostess, okay. dance teacher, retail store worker, babysitter. I don't know. Yeah. It counts. Boy, do I have stories. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> PA. Okay. So we have so six. six. Okay, perfect. Okay. And uh, now you said your favorite was being the usher, which was your least favorite of all of those jobs? Hosting. 
Okay. Now when you say host, do you mean hostess at a restaurant where you sat people or do you mean host of a show? Yeah. Host. Okay. Uh, are oh, you yeah. hosting of a restaurant and okay. I've done that job twice. Okay. Different places. Are you comfortable saying the names or do you, you can skip it if you're nervous? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's shut down. It oh, was great. called Ariel. Ariel. Okay. <laughs> And then the one in New York I had, I don't have bad stories from that. It was the Metropolitan Room. Oh. But Ariel is where, oof, let me tell you. Let's go. Why, okay. why, why, oof. oof, let me, yeah, why? Well, Ariel was the, right on Main Street in Santa Monica. So Ugh. brunch was like a three-hour wait. It was, you, there were no reservations, or no, no, there were reservations, but like if you, if you just walked in, it was like minimum three hour waits. So many, so many Saturdays. And it was just, I don't think I was getting paid enough because there, the people were so angry. And if you, t- you had to get really good at guessing how long the wait was going to be. So if you said it was only an hour and now it's an hour and a half and their table's still not ready, like that's on me and people are yelling at me. Like just so many angry people. But the worst, worst experience I had at Ariel was it was a Saturday and there was a party of 20 um, that had a reservation at 11. So I was prepared for that and I had the table ready to go. We moved like a big section together for them. And then at 1030, a party came in. And she was like, hi, we have a reservation for 20. And I was like, oh, great. Oh, Chase, don't tell me. No, Mm -hmm. no, Chase. I said, I said, we have it for under a rose. And she said, because there were so many people in her head. She was like, yeah, I'm sure it's under a rose. I seat the table. Chase. Okay. Get ready. 11 o'clock, the actual party of 20 comes in that party did not have a reservation they assumed wrong oh my god so a party of 20 comes in at 11 and i'm like oh no and by the way it's packed it's every single table's filled like everyone's eating this isn't like i can just seat a party of 20 i had to go up to every single table like i had to do a puzzle and i was I, they, people were eating and I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to move you no. over here. No. And I had to do like a jigsaw puzzle to make a table of 20 happen. And it was the most stressful day of my life. I and I did it. People moved. I was very like, okay, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to move. And I like talked. I'm good at talking to people, I guess. Oh but let me tell you, I was livid at that party of 20 that, told me that they were the right party. See, that would have been my, I, I'm petty. That would have been my first move would have been to go to the party of 20 and say, and like find the person I spoke to and say, you're certain you had a reservation because it seems like you didn't. And then just see what I they would say. I definitely did talk to that party of 20, <sighs> but like at that point, too late, they were seating, they had ordered, yeah. there's food coming. Like it was, it was. Um, I couldn't. And what are the odds that on the one day where there is a reservation, like what that is, what are the odds? I I can't even, I don't know how certain things just happen to me because (laughs) I think this is why I have so much comedy material because the things in my life are just too 
too much. <laughs> okay. I have to talk about it in the comedy. I want to go back though, because, okay, so, so we've had the perspective from a server, servers and bartenders, as far as how brunch is a nightmare from hell. And so, but I've never actually been able to ask a host how it's a nightmare from hell for you as well. So can you, was it a bottomless mimosa place? That Ariel? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So we're already off to the races. So what were the things as a host, it, b- apart from jockeying people that are lying to you about reservations mm-hmm. and you having to guess the time, what was it that like, was it generally people were just mad about the wait time or would you also have to deal with the drunk? Like as they're leaving, they're walking out on a check and now you're responsible for pulling them back in. Or did you have any of the trickle down from that? No, but one time a waiter stole someone's phone. Um, oh, a busboy stole someone's phone. And then they had find my phone. So they, they, they like came, this was like a couple of days later, they came to the restaurant and they were like, hey, it says that my phone is here. Like they were able to track it down and the busboy like fleed. He booked it. He didn't want to get in trouble. And he was the only busboy at that that oh day. They thought it was going to be a lighter day. So then I started having to bus tables and bring drinks. And I'm not, that's not my job. And people were waiting like such a long time for their drinks because I was forgetting. And they were like, I'm not trained. I wasn't trained in that. So like having to do the busboy's job and host added a lot of complications. Um, ah. He got fired. I would imagine. So how were they able to do, I mean, besides the find my iPhone and the fact that he was like, I'm out, were they, did they figure out he must've stolen it and then kept it at the restaurant? Cause if it's a couple days later. So I think what happened was they did the find my iPhone and it took him to the bus boy's house. Oh, okay. And so they went to the house and I guess the roommate was like, he's at Ariel. And they were like, oh, that's where, that must've been where it happened. And then they came to Ariel and was like, we need to talk to this person. And so were they, and so did he, he fled, did he flee with the phone or did he leave the phone at Ariel? I'm not actually sure, but he booked it. Like we were like, oh, he's in the back and he was never to be found again. Oh my God, (laughs) I cannot. And so then, and so we didn't realize he fled either. So people were just angry that like their waters weren't coming, their drinks weren't coming. And then we realized like, oh, we don't have a bus boy. So then I was cleaning the tables. I was, I mean, I just really hated that job. It was like way too stressful and the host doesn't get tips. The host doesn't get like the extra money and you're doing, you're dealing with just as angry people, if not the angriest, because people will complain to the host rather than the manager or, you know, you're the face of the restaurant and they come up and complain to you. So how, what was, and the restaurant had a B and I was, I was having, they'd be like, why is there a B? And I'd have to be like, be, oh, don't worry about it. Like I was the face. That's not fair. That is absolutely I not know. fair. Like, don't talk to me. Why it has a B? Go talk to the manager. <laughs> and also, you're still eating here. This place has a B, and you're still looking to wait an hour and a half for a table. I know they like would try to hide the B. Come on. But people would see it, and then they'd come up to me and be like, "What's the deal?" <laughs> and I was told to like be like, "No big deal. It's nothing. <laughs> it's not rats in the kitchen. Like, I don't did so worry. much for this restaurant. I can't believe you weren't tipped out. Also, because on a brunch place, yeah. a host should be tipped out. 
It was 2014. I don't know if like mm-hmm. rules have changed or like wages have gone up, but I, yeah. I, and then when I was a host in New York, I was getting $9 an hour, which is below minimum wage. How, how, how was that allowed? I don't know. That's wild. I really don't know. Like you really don't get paid much as a host. I can't, I, I was a host at a restaurant and I lasted, uh, four months because they kept being like, no, no, we're going to make you a server. We're going to make you a server. And I was like, I can't survive on 10 bucks an hour. It's just not possible. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We'll sort it. We'll sort it. And I'm like, this is why you guys have turnover in this department. When you were at Ariel, so what was the trajectory of getting out of there? Because did an opportunity come up or were you just like, I can't yeah. live on this? When I was living in LA, it was my first year out of college. And mind you, I was living at home. So it's kind of ridiculous, but I had five jobs. I was working as an usher. I worked at Ariel. I was teaching dance. I was babysitting and I was volunteering as a dance teacher. So that one wasn't even for pay. So I was like booked to the rim and I and I was auditioning and trying to be an actor so I mean it's really ridiculous that I did that to myself but I (laughs) speaking of being a people pleaser as my (laughs) special is called these opportunities were coming to me and I was like okay like I couldn't say no I was like yes I can do that and I just was I took on so much and I really was at a breaking point so it was actually good that I got cast in the show in New York and I could just like I was like okay gotta go so you just quit everything I, at once and you're like, flip a table. I'm out. It was such a, it was such an easy way to quit. Cause I was like, I'm moving. Yeah. So they couldn't really, <laughs> but this reminds me too, at that time I had a friend that worked at Nobu. Do you know? Yeah. Nobu? Yeah. And she was telling me like, you got to apply to Nobu. Like you get six figures being a waiter. And this was before I even was a host. And I, all I had was like my theater credits and like working as an usher and people literal like people that are lawyers and doctors, I guess she told me apply to be waiters at Nobu because you make so much money. And then I interviewed to be a waiter at Nobu and they looked at my resume and they were like, huh, lots of theater experience. (laughs) Do you have any experience in waiting tables no and I clearly didn't get the job because <laughs> no boo you gotta be like a professional waiter yeah you, that, that's your career like at that stage yeah, that's your career you're they're not hiring like actors that have never waited to that's right they're definitely not so <sighs> these fucking cats I'm like, so sorry oh no it's okay um I, love cats. I do too normally and then they just decided now was the time to be loud as hell they normally sleep and not today Okay, so you so you you moved to New York. You're doing that job, and then did you start? I swear to God, hold on, I'm gonna murder. No problem. This is the most unprofessional podcast you've ever been a part of. I'm no, so sorry. Not at all. <laughs> okay. So what was the, so when you, you're leaving, you go to New York and then was it an immediate, like, I have to get a job there as well to kind of supplement everything that you were doing no. there? The musical I was in was what was paying my bills, which was like, truly, I was so happy at that point. It was like, wow, I'm a working theater person. And I got to just go to rehearsals and the show and that, that covered my rent and that covered like life. 
But um, the show got canceled pretty quickly. I was going to ask. It was only like a three-month run. That's it. But okay, three months is great, but that is very fast to be ushered away. It was like I... I was like, oh, now I'm in New York, not as a working actor. This is hard. Um, and that's when I I got a job in a retail store and then as a babysitter and as a host in New York. So you were determined to stay in New York at that time? Yeah, you know, my sister lived in New York and she's my best friend and we hadn't lived together or been like in the same city for almost seven years at that point. So it, I was living with her during the show and it was so special to be her roommate. And I stayed so that we could like, it was just, I already had family here and mm. like I had a lot of friends in New York and it was, it was like, okay, I'm going to give New York a shot. I'm already here. And so how long did you end up being able to like stay there with the myriad jobs you had at the time? Um, three years. Okay. So that's a good amount of time. And yeah, I, I didn't love living in New York. I like visiting. I love being here now. But living in New York and being a struggling comedian is such a hard life. It's it's just easier to be in L.A. struggling than New York struggling. Is that because your parents are in L.A. or what's the what? Why? Why are they different? Um, I think the weather's nicer. Like you have a car to get places. Like literally I would, everything was the subway and you're like taking your laundry on the subway. You're taking your groceries on the subway. You're like in freezing cold weather or like humid, hot weather. It's just nasty. I just didn't like it. And then I I was living in Brooklyn. It was such a long commute every day. And it's just how harder, it's just harder here. I agree Um, with that. I, I, I don't think even if your parents don't live in LA. I still think it's easier to live there. It's just nicer weather. It's nicer, chiller people. I think, I don't know. It's just a little easier. It is easier. I agree with that. And so you said you started working at a retail store. Are you comfortable saying the name or are you, um, it, it will get a load of this. I, I worked at an Indian clothing store. Um, and I'm a, a white blonde girl, which, um, okay. I have a few questions. That's the job, That's the job I got. Okay. Uh, I um, I, I love the store. My mom's cousin owns it. I was going to so ask. Okay. I got, this was like my in to have a job. Um, I'm online. If you search like saris online, <laughs> I, I, I was like on a billboard in Times Square in a sari. Like, I, I come up as a model for Indian clothing. And again, I don't know how great that is. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have... know. But anyways, that's, uh, I had a job uh, selling Indian clothes. And um, and I'm comfortable talking about this because my mom's cousin had a really tough time with her co-owner. Um, they he was a really, really creepy man and a really just like crooked guy. And they no longer work together. He scammed her out of so much money, but he was the guy I was always working with, um, pretty much every day. And he has a very backwards way of thinking. If I like asked a question, he would be like, 
why are you asking that? Like, you're a girl, you're a woman. Like the way he literally, it was so backwards. I, and then he would have me like, he, he would have me model clothes. And at the time, like I was 24 and I also was like naive. And my, my cousin was like, oh my God, you cannot be taking pictures with him. And cause I'm just thinking like nothing inappropriate happened, but it was just, he was a really creepy guy. And that was the job I had. I mean, I'd hate New York too. That sounds pretty wretched. And so you were, you were too young to know that that was possibly bordering on "Mm, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Because, um, his wife was at the store. He was my like family's friend. Like I was like, Oh, nothing is wrong here. But, but when my mom's cousin, what do I call her? My second cousin. Sure. When she found out, she was like, never again. You can never let him like think that you're not a model here. You're a you're a retail worker. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, just a really off, off experience. Yeah. And they didn't fire me. They just stopped scheduling me. Uh, But the the guy, the guy didn't like me because I asked too many questions. Literally, I was like just about customers if he knew them I'd be like oh who are they like how do you know them and but he wouldn't answer and he'd get so upset that I'd ask and so he just stopped scheduling me and then I I came in one day um and they just had someone else there doing my job what the fuck oh I guess (laughs) Guess I'm fired yeah they just didn't tell me I was fired I can't even like, you seem like such an agreeable, kind person. I can't imagine that they would like, so did you just decide like, I guess I'm going to leave. See ya. Or did you say like, Hey, can I get my check? Like, how did you handle that? It kind of was like an unspoken. I don't work there anymore. It was like, we'd like, it was like, okay, I get it. I get it. Like I got the hint. I'm good at getting hints. Um, (laughs) So I mean that, that I was, I was happy though. I really wasn't happy there. So, but now the store is like, honestly, now that the guy doesn't work there and he like, we're, we're done with him. I mean, it's, I, I love the store. It just was a hard time working with that guy. Yeah. And I think the thing that for people who haven't lived in New York, especially people who haven't lived there and as artists, because your primary focus isn't this like B job to support you. Your primary focus is the grind of auditioning and the, you know, myriad things that you're doing to be an artist. This kind of slippery shit gets tolerated for longer. Cause you're like, whatever, it's not my career or well, it yeah. wasn't that bad or I have to pay my bills. So there's a lot of, a lot of that happens in New York where you're like, I guess I shouldn't be upset about this thing. Right. Cause I don't really care. Ugh. Yeah, it was so much, I had so much learning in my early 20s when I was doing all these jobs that I hated is when I learned like, oh, this is my life. Like, I know that I'm trying to be a comedian, but in the meantime, my life, I'm miserable. I'm so unhappy with these jobs. And I, I realized like, after the fact Cause there, cause even then at two, I was babysitting for this horrible family. The kids would bully the, the kids would uh, bully you. Oh yeah. And I would cry. And they were like, I, they were bullying like a girl in her twenties and they were like eight years old. 
Chase, I don't I, even like, how would you, would you tell the parents? The, the parents, um, no, I think at that point I was so, I cared so much about people liking me. I this totally, in my life. I get why your album I, is called people pleaser. Everybody download yeah, it, get it. Yeah. Where, where can people yeah. get the album by the way? <laughs> where can people get um, it? Well, the, uh, video version will be on YouTube and then the album will be anywhere. Like okay. you can stream albums, Spotify, iTunes. Got and it. That. Okay. You're very much supporting why it was called that. Okay. So you, yes. <laughs> oh yes. I, I mean, years of people pleasing. Um, so you yeah, wouldn't say just, they like you wouldn't say anything to the parents because you're like, well, this is my job and whatever, and they're not going to believe their kids suck anyway. Or was it just like, yeah, I don't think I felt comfortable being like your kids are making me cry. Oh. I they like they would be like the one girl would be like telling me something like uh, mean about her friend, and I'd be like, oh gosh, she seems awful, and she's like, oh my god, I can't believe that you think she's awful. How dare you? Like, would just like be like, Oh, sorry. That wouldn't make me cry. Yeah. I forget what it was like. Oh, the, the boy took off his socks and I'd be like, Ooh, that smells to make a joke. And the sister's like, I'm the only one that can tell him it smells. You're awful. Like they would just be bullying me. Yeah. These and are- it got to a point where I was like, you're, you guys are so mean. I can't. They fired me. I got fired from that job too because the mom said I wasn't hard enough on the kids. Fuck off. Be a parent. Your kids suck. This isn't about you. Because like the kids at one point, like the, they just weren't doing their homework. And I was like, okay, you know what? Like, I don't care. Don't do your homework. (laughs) Because they were being so mean about it. And I was just like, fine, don't. And so the mom um, thought they needed someone that would actually make them do their homework. The mom, she should have hired an au pair from Russia that was like very like non-binary, ethnically ambiguous slash didn't speak a lot of English and was not afraid to put hands on kids. Like those are the kind of those insufferable kids though become insufferable adults. And like, they're just, I I bet they had a lot of money is my guess. They do. Well, it was the Upper West Side. There you go. I think a lot of those parents, like they were both lawyers and they were never home and the kids were being raised by nannies their whole life. And they just like would mess with the nannies. I think they had a turnover rate like crazy and they were just so mean and awful. That is awful. Bless you. Okay. So your, so your least favorite was, uh, selling saris and being the Times Square model that you didn't agree to being. And then, um, what was the weirdest? No, no. The Times Square model was different. Oh, that that was was different. That was a photo shoot that, um, he was not involved in. Oh, okay. It was a professional photo shoot. Oh, okay. So we're not sad about being on the billboard. Okay. Got it. No, that's funny to me. Uh, I think that's great. Um, no. And that also wasn't the worst job. I think in New York, it was the babysitting job. Oh, it had to have been. Yeah. Getting abused. And and, yeah, that was like all these jobs. And then the hosting for $9 an hour. Like, I just think I was just so miserable. Like there were, I, I came to a point where I was like, oh, I know this, this isn't my real job and what I'm really doing, but like, it's still my life. And I have to figure out what I can be doing in the meantime to make me happy because service jobs and these types of jobs weren't making me happy at all. I was, I got very depressed. I went through a depressed phase in New York. Yeah. And you, you're saying something that I've never, no guest has ever shared that is such a really sentient point that like, 
time is passing. This is actually your life. So even though this you're is not actually my life. Yeah. So and I have to figure out what do I do to make me happy? And I remember starting thinking like, I love tea. What if I worked at a tea shop or like, what are things I can do that make me happy while I'm pursuing this? Yeah. So what did you, so you have this epiphany because you're going through a really rough time in New York. So was it, I have to leave here and go get my head right back in LA or did you have that realization in New York and stay in New York for a period of time after? So this is what got me out of New York. Um, I hit like, a like I've, I've never considered myself a depressed person. I had never gone through depression and I was at a point where I was crying every day. I was walking down the street crying. I was like, I was so sad. And and mind you, I was doing comedy. Like at that point I had written an off-Broadway comedy show that I was doing and I was, I was doing stand-up and I was still doing it. It was just so hard. And I, I, my boyfriend broke up with me because he said he turned into my therapist because I was crying so much. I mean, that's a, that's a good boundary for him, but goddamn. Never again will I cry to a boyfriend. That taught me a lesson. Um, and, and then my sister and I, the apartment we had been living in, it was in Bushwick. And Bushwick is now a very, like, cool place. But it wasn't for a long time. Live. And it wasn't. And it was becoming very gentrified. And the owners of the building sold it to this like company that was going to tear it down and um, keep completely redo it and up the price. And so they paid everyone in the building to move. And so me and my sister were both like, you know what? We're getting paid to leave New York. This is our like <laughs> sign. We are leaving New York. And so I took that money I got and I did an eat, pray, love. Yeah. It was a quarter life crisis. It was a quarter life crisis. I, I traveled to New Zealand and Thailand and I just like, it was the beginning of my healing to like be happy again. And I had to really figure out what is it that I want? Like, is this making me happy? What do I want in my life? And that's when I moved back to LA and was like, I just want to be a PA. I just want to work on a comedy show. I want to be behind the scenes and I want to, that's what I want. And so I spent the whole year when I moved back to LA applying for PA jobs. And I'm just so lucky. It was Curb Your Enthusiasm that I got. Yeah, that's lovely. Well, I'm really glad that, that it came full circle for you. And so when you are, so I would, go, I want to go back to the regular questions, but because people will jump up my ass if I don't, but I do want to know. So you decide to leave L or you decide to leave New York. Were you employed at the time when you were getting paid to move or so you had to quit a bunch of jobs or was that, were you just being slowly fired and you're like, fuck it. I really need to go. I was slowly fired after I got fired from the Indian clothing <laughs> store and the babysitting. My sister is, um, a street artist and she was like really blowing up at the time and started like needing help. And so I became my sister's assistant. Oh, that's so awesome. Was, yeah. That one I have no complaints about. Yeah. I could just work from home and we were working together. So I didn't have to quit that job. And my sister's also the most supportive sister in the world and was like anytime she's like, if you need to go do you go do you. 
and like don't put me first so I'm so lucky that that worked out that I got to um, work for her yeah. she fired me a couple times but it was a joke <laughs> yeah but that's like that's She'd siblings rehire me, yeah of but course I did, I did mess things up a couple times <laughs> how does one mess up being an assistant for a street artist did you bring the wrong paint or something like she yeah like on installation days like I didn't get the things delivered at the right time ah, and okay. it was a mess you know like things just like technical stuff didn't happen Got it. Okay. <laughs> okay. She doesn't paint. She uses crochet. She's a, cro- a crocheter. So her murals are all made out of crochet. Oh my God. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and does she, do you get paid cool. to do that? Is that like a thing that people pay you for? Yeah. So when she started, she was just doing it for fun and putting it up for free everywhere on the street. And then, um, it's so unique and she's so talented that brands started hiring her. So now she makes, um, she makes her money from brands hiring her to do marketing and stuff. That's amazing. And then she also has a line of yarn and she has a clothing line at TJ Maxx and she's just, she's amazing. She's that's amazing. so lovely. Oh, that's awesome. Sorry to get derailed. Yeah. Okay. She followed her passion and, and it paid off. Well, and yours <laughs> is too. Yours is too. Your parents are probably very proud of both of you. Um, yes, they're so proud. <laughs> okay. So what's the, I, I think I know, well, I, maybe I don't, but I think I know what you're going to say to this, but what's the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst you were on the clock at any of the customer service jobs? Mm, the weirdest thing? Well, I think it's the, the guy yeah. asking me to take pictures. Yeah. That's he pretty would, weird. He'd, he'd give me clothes and I'd go, I, like nothing was inappropriate it just was weird yeah that my job was not taking pictures of the clothes yeah there's that right? gray yeah I think that's the weirdest thing mm-hmm. that's what I thought you were gonna say I got asked to do yeah okay. from the things that you've shared so far I'm like nothing tops that nothing <laughs> it's weird that's weird and mm-hmm. I, I I it was weird yeah. Okay. Um, was there ever an incident at any of these jobs where they asked to speak with your manager? I, I assume like, I mean, in babysitting, you can't really, there's no real higher ups or HR department or anything, but like, was there ever a moment where someone was like, get your manager right now? That's who I want to talk to. No. Um, I've gotten my manager a lot. <laughs> like at the, <laughs> at the host job, if people were being mean to me, it would be like, I'll get the manager because I'm not qualified to do this. But a lot of times I'd go get the manager and he's like, this is your job. Go do it. Go handle it. And I'd be like, okay. And a lot of, I don't know, like no one ever asked me. It was me getting the manager for them. See, but that's a, that's a hard window though, because it, it like, I guess it is technically your job to deal with people, but it's not your job to be abused. So if someone gave me that authority now, I would have been like, okay, cool. Then they don't get to come here. Like, I'll just be like, you're being right. abused, you know, like, but it's so hard. Yeah. Like it did. I did get yelled at, at the hosting job in New York. And I remember it vividly because like, I get so scared getting yelled at. And, um, <laughs> So it, it's held a mark, but it was because, yeah, some customers were being really upset. They weren't happy. They wanted to move to a certain table and I didn't, you know, and that's when he was like, this is your job. I'm not doing this for you. And, and I just had to buckle up and, and be a 
big kid and handle it. Ugh. But I hate that. Please, everyone listening, and I'm certain our audience isn't like this, but please never be like, that table doesn't work for me. I want to be over there. Unless you're being sat and there's a ton of empty tables and you say, hey, I know there's a flow for all the servers. Is that table an option? That's a different approach than I don't like this table. We want to go over there and just picking a random yeah. table. Yeah, because it really messes up the flow of the restaurant. And there's like waiters get mad at the host. Yep. If you're seating too many people in a certain section, the waiters get mad at you. And they're like, why aren't you giving me business? So you have to be like, yeah. there's so much to think about. Yeah, But I, I also, I feel like um, I go to a restaurant and they're like, okay, the wait's 30 minutes. And I'm, if, if I'm with friends, I'm like, <laughs> it's probably less than that. They just tell us over. Let me, and I'll literally do a round. And I, cause I know how to tell how long it's going to be for real. And I'm like, okay, they're eating now. They're just on their drinks. They're okay. It's going to be this long. And I'm actually very good at at being a host, not hosting. I just know the job so well. <laughs> what an interesting, like marketable skill that is what so specific. Yeah. Like I would put that I'm in my like, specials. <laughs> Yeah, I it's would, not actually going to be 30 minutes. Let me tell you what it's really going to be. 27.5. Somebody time me. Yeah. <laughs> like, and cause like they, you know, like if it's a party of two, like on average, it's 45 minutes. Yeah. And like, so, and if it's a party of four on average, it's this long. And so like, yeah, there's like certain skills you can do to really know. I mean, it is, it's gonna be. yeah, I put that in my special skills, but you're not going to have a normal job ever. You're going to always do comedy, but it's such an interesting specific skill. Like to get hired as a PA, I would have put that on my PA resume of like, look, I've got this thing. If nothing else for a discussion point. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. I should have done that. Yeah. I think they liked that. I also did PA work in New York. It was for fashion week and some like other things. Oh. And I got the job because they were like, you've done fashion week. You're in because apparently Fashion Week is like the hardest PA job. I can't imagine. Was it hard? But no, uh, <laughs> it wasn't hard. And so I thought PAing was a very different thing when I got to my Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> job. I, I literally didn't do anything yeah. as a PA. I thought PAing was just giving people coffee if they asked for it. And hiding in a bush. Yeah. I mean, you, you figured it out. <laughs> you stepped your game up. You were like, you know, in, during fashion week, I actually had to hide in bushes too. So this is a very transferable skill. <laughs> okay. Um, do you think it's weird the amount of power that customers wield in any of these given situations, specifically maybe restaurants? Like, because I like, I don't know that Yelp would have affected your job at the time. Cause I know it was a thing in 2014, but I don't know that it had the like, I don't know when it became yeah, the power. I think, um, I, I think customer service is really important and I think it is important to keep your customers happy. But then I think there are just Karens out there yeah. that like, no matter what you do, they're just going to write the bad review or make your life miserable and you're in the right. And at a certain point, I think you have to protect yourself and be like, these people are just crazy. Like I can't, that's right. So, but like, cause I'm on tour, I'm staying at a lot of hotels and I was staying at a really nice hotel in Texas and there were like termites crawling around on the window. And I called the front desk and I was like, I'm scared. I don't like that. There's these bugs in here. And they, they weren't like, oh my gosh, we're so sorry. What can we do for you? Like, we're going to, they like moved rooms for me. And then I, that move 
the room I moved to, there were bugs in there too. Girl. And I was like, at this point, they better give me like, you better do something really nice so that customer, because I could easily be like, write a review and be like, they were awful and I'm never going to stay here again. You kind of need to do something to make their experience a little better when something's, so they offered me a free breakfast. But I think yeah, they could have done more. Um, <laughs> I mean, did the termites bring but, you the plate? Like that's psychotic. And, and like, if I've been a customer at restaurants where like the food has taken over an hour to get to us and it's like, maybe take something off the bill. Like, I think there's certain things you can do to just keep the customer happy just so they, I, I do think people can have a really bad experience and it's okay for them to be like, this person did not care about our feelings at all. But then there's just the out of line people that are, it's, they're just Karens. Do you, you can't. <laughs> do you think that the customer is always right? Oh, hey there, folks. That's going to do it for part one of two with the comic and actor Chase O'Donnell. Chase's things are all found on chaseodonnell.com. We do that at the end of next week's episode, but go to C-H-A-S-E-O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L.com. That is uh, her handles have an underscore in them somewhere. You'll find her if you look up Chase O'Donnell. She has been on every podcast you already love and listen to. And please go find her album, People Pleaser, to support her. She was very lovely. We will see you folks next next week for part two of two with Chase O'Donnell. Thank you folks so much for listening. Good night. (laughs) 